I want us to think this morning about the gospel of Christmas. You know, there is the gospel of Christmas that goes beyond the manger and goes beyond when Jesus went to the temple as a 12-year-old and goes beyond when he stood before Pilate and Pilate said, I find no fault in him. And it goes beyond the cross to the empty tomb, even to the ascension where Jesus right now is at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. So today we just don't celebrate the birth of Christ. We celebrate the gospel of Christmas. You know now that the word gospel means good news. You've heard that over and over again. The gospel, the word gospel is good news. Did you know we have four books in the Bible? The good news according to Matthew. The good news according to Mark. The good news according to Luke. The good news according to John. And in all those books, you got the gospel of Christmas. Because Christmas is good news. You know, I'll be honest with you. In a world full of bad news, we need some good news. And boy, I'm so thankful that this time of the year we say, but wait a minute. Man has made a big mess of this world. But the God who created it is still God. And he has the final word. Don't you love the words of the angels? They said it was good news. In Luke 2, 10 and 11, listen to what it says. The angel said to them, to the shepherd, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be to all people. And then he goes on and says, that great news is, for there is born to you this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. You know, Jesus was the greatest teacher that ever lived, but we didn't need a teacher. Jesus was the greatest example that ever lived, but we didn't need an example. Jesus was the greatest miracle worker that ever lived, but we didn't need a miracle. You know what we needed? We needed a Savior because we have all sinned. And the good news is that God said, I'm sending my son, and it's a clear mission. I'm sending him to be your Savior. What in the world does it mean for Jesus to be our Savior? Over in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, you don't need to look it up. It'll be on the screen. You know what it says in Galatians 4, 4 and 5? That Jesus came to redeem us from the curse of the law. And I was hoping that was going to be on the screen, but obviously it's not. But I'll, No, there it is, 4-4. Four, four. Now, now listen, it said he's a Savior. We needed a Savior. Why? Look what it says. In the fullness of time, at God's perfect time, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, and look at the next verse, to redeem those, that means to purchase to pay for, to buy back. God sent forth his son, born of a woman, to purchase, to pay for, to buy back those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. 
But you know, the reason he came was to redeem us from the curse of the law. Now, isn't that amazing that the Bible says that we were under the curse of the law? Now, let me ask you this. Why was the law a curse? You know why? You say, wait a minute, Brother Fred. The moral law of God, it's awesome. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall remember, you shall make no idols. You shall remember the Sabbath, you shall worship me. You shall not take my name in vain. You shall honor your father and mother. You shall not steal. You shall not kill. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not Hey, the moral law is great, and it is awesome. But the Bible says that he came to redeem us from the curse of the law. Why was that? Because we, we, we couldn't keep the law. We couldn't keep it. And the Bible made it clear. In, in, in Galatians 3, 13, I want you to listen to this. It says, it's on the screen, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Now, wait a minute. He came to be the Savior. And it says, he came in the fullness of time to take us who were under the law and adopt us as sons. And then it goes on in in verse 13 of Galatians 3. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. He took the curse of the law. Now you say, wait a minute, Brother Fred. I just want to ask you a question. Is there anybody in this room that has never broken one of the Ten Commandments? You say, I've never broke. I, I have perfectly kept all Ten Commandments. Now, if that's true of you, would you please raise your hand? If you'd raise your hand, you just broke one. Because you lied is what you did. So you see, you understand. Why did God give the moral law of God? It's good. God gave the moral law of God to try to show us how to live in order not to destroy each other. The law came after God destroyed the world in Noah's day. He gave the law to say, now, if you'll have no other gods before me, and if you'll worship me and honor your father and mother, don't steal from each other, don't kill. If you'll just live by this, society will survive. But we couldn't do it. Everyone has broken the Ten Commandments except Jesus. And so Jesus had to come to redeem us from the curse of the law. In fact, he had to become a curse for us so that we could be redeemed from the curse of the law. And he did that. And um, the Bible says that because he came and paid the price and redeemed us from the curse of the law, everything that we lost when Adam sinned would be restored. Now stay, stay with me. Everything that we lost when Adam sinned and everything that we lost when we broke the law could be restored. It could be restored. You know, when Jesus came, the Bible says he was the last Adam. Now, isn't that interesting? Now, the first Adam was perfect in body, soul, and spirit. He had never known sin, but he and Eve made a choice. They chose to sin. 
And the sin separated them from God, and they became spiritually dead. So, in the fullness of time, God sent forth the last Adam. And where the first Adam had failed, Jesus came. He fulfilled the law. He never sinned. He lived a sinless life. And as the last Adam, he was now in the position to redeem us from the curse of the law and give us a new beginning and a new start. You know what? You know, it's like God said, first Adam blew it. But Jesus has come. He's going to purchase you from the curse of a broken law. And I'm going to give you another chance. We're just going to kind of start over. We're going to have a new beginning. And that's why I love that poem. I love it. I, you know, I remember we had to study poetry in school. And um, I, I didn't appreciate it like I did this one. Now listen to what the poet said. I wish there were some wonderful place called the land of beginning again. Where all our mistakes and all our heartaches could be dropped like a shabby old coat at the door, never to be put on again. He said, I wish there was a place of new beginning. There's so much baggage I have. Man, I'd like to drag, drop that shabby old coat of failure and sin at the door and never put it on again. He said, I just wish there was a place of beginning again. Guess what? That's the gospel of Christmas. In Jesus Christ, you can begin again. In Jesus Christ, you can have a new beginning. That's what it's all about. God said, hey, I'm going to redeem them from the curse of the law that Adam broke. And I'm going to give them a new start. I'm going to give them a new beginning. Let me show you that. In, second, in, in 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians, it's one of the two, by the way. Chapter 5, chapter 5, verse 17. Now, I want you to look. Now, this is the gospel of Christmas. It's more than saying the angels came and said the baby is born in the manger. It's more than the wise men, more than the shepherds. It's more than, uh, than all of that, which is beautiful. I love the story. I never get tired of it. I love the decorations. You say, well, why do you love the decorations? Because they're they're about light. They're about light. They're about hope. They're about joyful things. Now look at what it says. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Watch this. Old things are passed away. You dropped them like a shabby old coat at the door, never to put it on again. If anyone be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are gone. And all things are become new. Old things have passed away. You know, there there has to be in this room many of us who are still weighted down with the old things. We've all written some pages that I, we really wish we'd never written. We've all made some choices and gone down some roads. Man, I wish I hadn't have gone down that road. And we can all look back 
with a sense of despair, if we would, at the old things. But oh, the gospel of Christmas is that in Jesus Christ, old things are passed away and all things are become new. You don't have to live in the past. You don't have to be weighted down by your past. You know, Paul had to get over the fact that he held the coat of Stephen when they stoned him to death. And when he wasn't Paul, then he was Saul of Tarsus. He hated Jesus. He hated the church. He was arresting Christians, and there was Stephen, the man of God, whose face was shining like an angel. And Jesus, heaven opened, and there was Jesus standing to greet him. And Saul was there while they pounded him to death with those stones and killed this godly man. But then on the road to Damascus, Paul met Jesus, and his his life was changed. He cried, Lord, what would you have me to do? And he became a firebrand for Christ. But you know what? I know the enemy. He's the accuser of the brethren. He loves to remind you of your past sins. He loves to remind you of your past failures. And so don't you know, Paul would be standing against in Mars Hill and said, you've got a, a, idol, a statue here to the unknown God, and I want to tell you who God is. And he would tell them about Jehovah and about Jesus, and he went everywhere preaching the gospel. But the devil would say, but don't you remember when they stoned. Don't you look, remember the look on Stephen's face? But you know what Paul said in Philippians? He said, I had to forget those things that were behind. And I had to press on toward the mark of the high calling of God in Jesus Christ. The Spirit of God is saying to me strongly now to say to you, you have got in Christ to not only receive forgiveness, but you have got to forget some things in your past and quit letting them drag you down and beat you up because if you are in Jesus Christ, you are new creation, hallelujah, and old things are passed away and all things have become new. All the time I meet with people, but Brother Fred, back there. I said, no, we're not going back there. Jesus has washed it away with his blood. And so the gospel of Christmas, that if anyone be in Christ, there's a, there's a new creation, old things are passed away. And look at the next verse. This is why Jesus came. It couldn't be any clearer than this. God, now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself. Wait a minute. Jesus came to reconcile us to God, the God who created us, the God who made us in his image, he came to reconcile us to God. All things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. All things are of God who reconciled us to himself by good works, zero. All things are of God who reconciled us to himself through the church, zero. No, 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 no. There's only one way. To be reconciled to God. Now all things are of God who has reconciled to us to himself through Jesus Christ. That is the good news of Christ. Why did he leave heaven's glory? He left his throne in heaven's glory to came to earth to die. The manger, yes. A carpenter's son in Nazareth, yes. Should have been loved by everybody, but was hated and crucified. But why did he come? 
to reconcile us to the Father. That's it. It's also you and I could be reconciled. That the old things could be passed away and all things could become new. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. And look at the next verse. God was in Christ. You say Jesus was just uh, another miracle worker. No, he wasn't. Jesus was just a, a God. No, he wasn't. God, the true and living God, was in Christ. God, Emmanuel, became flesh and lived among us. I was talking to someone uh, thirsty, and they were talking about uh, they knew someone who was a Hindu. And uh, they, they asked him, well, do you, you, do you believe in God? Oh, yeah, I believe in God. Do you believe in Jesus? Oh, yeah, I believe in Jesus. You see, the Hindus have about 100,000 gods. About 100,000. You'd be amazed, really. You, you know, they, have, they believe in reincarnation. And, and some of the gods that enable them to be reincarnated, some of their relatives come back as a cow. Have you ever wondered why these people are starving to death and the cows are walking in and out of their houses and all over the streets and they need to be eating steak? Have you ever wondered why they don't want to kill one of their relatives? That's the truth. Reincarnation. No, Jesus, I said that Jesus is not an A-God that you can put on the shelf beside Allah and behind a Hindu God. Hallelujah. Jesus is the only true living God who came into this world to redeem us from our sin. He's not a God. He's the God. Anything else is a lie. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself and is committed to us the word of reconciliation. Then you go on into the 20th verse and it says, this is the gospel of Christmas. Now we're ambassadors for Christ. We're his representative on earth. You know, uh, back when I was going, grew up in First Baptist Church in Rock Hill, we had called what was called RAs, Royal Ambassadors. And we had RAs for years at, at Cottage Hill. Glenn Craddock headed it up. We had RAs for years. Great ministry. Now we've we just started, uh, I started to say upward basketball. That's not what it is. Awanas. We just started Awanas which is the same thing. It's just learning about studying the word of God. But I remember a royal ambassador pledge. An ambassador is one who represents the king in the court of another. America has an ambassador to England. He represents America in the court of another. You know what the Bible says about you and I? We're ambassadors for Christ. You represent the king in the place you work. You represent the king in the neighborhood you live in. You represent the king among your family and friends. An ambassador is one who represents the king in a court of another. And notice what it says there. Uh, We are ambassadors for Christ. And we beseech you on behalf of Christ. Join the church. That's not what it says. We beseech you on the behalf of Christ, straighten up and quit living wrong. That's not what it says. We beseech you, be 
reconciled to God. And there's only one way. And the next verse is the key to the gospel of Christmas. Look at what it says. For he made Jesus to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Now, exactly what that verse says is this. I want you to take this. um, We're going to let this Bible represent you. Okay. No, I've got to get this right. I hadn't planned on doing this, and I don't want to get it wrong. Okay. He made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. We let this Bible represent Jesus. He made him, Jesus, to be sin for us. So this is our sin. So that means that God placed our sin on Jesus. He made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. So the Bible says he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we were healed. And the Bible says the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. So he made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. So God took all your sin, and on the cross he placed it on Jesus. But look at the rest of the verse. Now this this is the gospel that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So, God put our sin on Jesus. But none that, look here. God took his righteousness and placed it on us. Brother Fred, are you telling me that the exchange was my sin was placed on Jesus? Yes. And that when I repented of my sin and trusted him, my sins placed on him were forever washed away. But that wasn't all that God did. God turned right around and took the righteousness of Jesus and placed it on me. And you mean I am covered with the righteousness of Jesus Christ? That's the gospel of Christmas. The gospel of Christmas. Look at what it says in verse 21. He made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might become the righteous of God in him. But back up a couple of verses. Is it possible to do that with that thing back there? All right, this is the one I want you to see. Well, it was in that one. Go back to the next. Go back to 21. I I messed it up. you got to see that part. He made him to be sin for us, that knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So he put our sin on Jesus. And he gave us his righteousness. Now, there are a couple of things that I want to say about this gospel of Christmas. And I've already said it, but I'm just going to run by it. This is the price it took for us to be reconciled to God. We were under a curse. We were under the curse of the law. Okay? We'd all broken the law. There's none righteous, no, not one. All we like sheep have gone astray. So we had broken the law. So Jesus took the curse of the law, and he paid the price for our sin. He suffered and died on the cross. Jesus made a perfect sacrifice for our sin. All our sins were placed on him. And when we repent of our sins and trust him, they're forgiven. So the price of reconciliation was the very death of Jesus. 
He had to die. He had to die for you to be forgiven. He had to die for your sins to be paid for. Did you know on the cross, Jesus paid your debt. Jesus took your sin. No wonder, have you ever noticed how when you sing certain songs that your heart just comes alive when you sing it like this? Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. That's the gospel of Christmas. We can be reconciled to God because Jesus paid the price. But let me go on a little further and say, look at the provision of that reconciliation. That not only are our sins forgiven and God forgives them no more when we are in Christ, but then God has given us the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Did you know that the only righteousness that will be in heaven is the righteousness of Jesus When you stand before God, you know how he's going to see you? He's not going to see your righteousness and mine, which is as filthy rags. You know what he's going to see? There you stand, and he sees you clothed in the righteousness of his son. And when he sees you in the righteousness of his son, that's the only righteousness that will be able to be in heaven. Because God is holy. And you've got to understand, you say, Brother Fred, isn't it awesome that that I don't have to go and stand before God in the tattered garments of my own righteousness, but I can stand before God, not because I deserved it, but because of grace that he has now clothed me with the righteousness of his son. And that happened the day you got saved. You know why the prodigal son, you, you know why Jesus told that story. He'd been in the world, and he was filthy. He smelled like a pig pen. His robe was dirty and filthy, and he, didn't, he, he certainly couldn't offer that to his father. So his father said, no, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Put a new robe on his shoulders. Put a new ring on his finger. Put new shoes on his feet because he's not in the far country anymore. He's in the kingdom of God. And friend, I want to tell you something. You know the gospel of Christmas? If you're in Christ, old things are passed away. You're not in your sin. But if you're in Christ, today you have the righteousness of Jesus. It is your righteousness. And that's how we got to live it out. We live out that righteousness. We live out righteous lives. We have the righteousness of Christ, but by his spirit, we live out righteous lives on this earth. So there's the... The price of reconciliation, there's the provision of reconciliation that we receive the righteousness of the Lord Jesus. And by the way, Paul gave up everything for that righteousness. I I believe we could get this up on the screen. Philippians 3, 7 through 9. Look here. Look what Paul said. He said, but what things were gained to me. All right, let me tell you what was gained to him. He was born of the tribe of Benjamin, I believe. He was first-class Jew, studied under Gamaliel. Concerning the righteousness of the law, he was perfect. He was way at the top of the ladder in the scribes and Pharisees. I mean, Saul was somebody. But look what he said. All those things I had. What things were gained to me, 
all of my righteousness, I counted loss for Christ. Well, why did you do that, Paul? Look at the next verse. I count all things but loss. I've given it up all. It's, cost, it's going to cost me my life. I've been in prison after prison. I've been beaten time after time. I've gone through literal suffering from the day I got saved on the road to Damascus. But I, I counted everything but loss. Why? For the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. For whom I've suffered the loss of all things. Paul, why do you keep getting put in jail? You keep preaching and they put you in jail. Because, hey, it's because of Jesus. I, all th- I can't, nothing of that matters to me. All things for loss, for I've suffered the loss of all things, that I count them as garbage, that I may win Christ. Now here's the verse you've got to see. And be found in him. Do you know what Paul said? I don't want to be found as one who was of the tribe of Benjamin. I don't want to be found as one who studied under Gamaliel. I don't want to be found as one who, concerning the law of the scribes and Pharisees, was perfect. I I don't want to be counted as the one who had all the religious pedigrees that a person could have. He said, I counted that as garbage. Why? Why did you do it? That I might be found in him. Listen. Not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but the righteousness of God, which is through faith in Jesus Christ. He said, when I realized that by faith in Christ, I could receive his righteousness and get rid of my righteousness, he said, I let it all go. I threw it all in the garbage can that I might be found in him having the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Now listen, what's hard to understand about that, y'all? Why don't we, why can't we get it? That in Christ, our sins are gone. And in Christ, we are now righteous in him, and we have his righteousness, and because of that, we are reconciled to God. What's hard to understand about that? I'll tell you, that's the most glorious news I've ever heard in my life. I don't want to stand before God and say, Lord, how did I do? He said, you don't want to know how you did. (laughs) He said, I want to tell you what I've done for you. Here's the righteousness of Jesus. So we see the price of reconciliation. We see the provision of reconciliation, that we get the righteousness of Christ. But here's the last thing. There is what I call the presence of reconciliation. And that is Christ comes to live in us. You know, Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. They were troubled because he was going back to heaven. He said, don't, don't, don't be troubled. He said, I'm going to come back to you. And the Holy Spirit, he said, I'm going to come. It's going to be the Spirit of Christ. The Holy Spirit's the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of God, just as much deity as the Father and Son. He said, I'm going to come as the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to take up residence in you. And your body is going to be the temple of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to live in you. Your body is going to be the temple of the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to live in you. And that's the gospel of Christmas that just, now get this. Man, this is getting a hold of me. Jesus says, just as I lived in Adam, Before he sinned, I am going to come and live in you now that you're saved. Whoo! Do you hear what I'm saying? He said, I lived in Adam, but he sinned. He broke the law. But I died and took the curse of the law for you. And he said, I'm going to come. And what I'm going to do once you're saved, he said, I'm going to come. And just as I lived in Adam before he sinned, I'm going to live in you. And your body is going to be the temple of the living God. 
You mean to be a Christian means that Christ lives in us? Well, Colossians 1.27. Christ in you, the hope of glory. You know, I, I used to think when I first got saved, well, I'm so glad I'm saved. Now, Jesus, I'm down here doing the best I can, and you're up there, and please help me out. I'm going to do the best I can, Jesus. But you know, you're up there, and I'm down here, and it's tough down here, Jesus. He said, no kidding. I said, it's tough. He said, but you got it wrong, friend. I'm not up here and you down here. He said, I came at Pentecost, and I came to live in you, and your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you. And he said, listen, I'm living in you. There's the provision of my presence. I am present in you. Folks, listen, ever since I've been saved, I've never been anywhere without Jesus Christ in me. Sometimes I went to places that embarrassed him and shamed him. And maybe you have since you've been saved. But don't you think for one moment he wasn't there. Why did you feel uneasy in that place? Why did you feel uncomfortable around that? Why did you feel uncomfortable when you were looking at it? Let me tell you why. Because he lives in you in the person of the Holy Spirit. And I'll tell you one thing. Jesus doesn't feel comfortable in any place that is not holy or righteous or godly. He's the Holy Spirit. So that's the, what I call the presence that Christ lives in us. I'm crucified with Christ, Galatians 2.20. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. You know, the gospel of Christmas is that you're no longer under the law. Jesus took the curse of the law for you. And you're no longer in your sin. Your sin was placed on Jesus. And the gospel of Christmas is that Jesus became your righteousness and you're righteous in him. And now not only do you have his righteousness, but you have his presence. Christ lives in you. And he'll never leave you. And he'll never forsake you. And no matter what you go through, his grace is sufficient. But here's the last thing I want you to notice. It says... Uh, over back in 2 Corinthians 5, he said, Now we're ambassadors for Christ, and we beseech you in Christ's stead. On Christ's behalf, we beseech you, be reconciled to God. Would you be reconciled to God? Folks, we're witnesses. The way you live in the office ought to be on Christ's behalf. I'm beseeching you, be reconciled to God. When you speak to the person at the grocery store or the, or the uh, dry cleaning place or uh, the neighbor next door, and, and, and he, he knows that you get up on Sunday morning and you drive out and go, going somewhere and he figured it out after a while you were going to church and he, he can't figure it out. and He thinks, well, I guess he's just religious. No, you need to know. That, you're, that he needs to know that you're an ambassador for Christ. That Christ has come to live in you. And you would beseech him on behalf of Jesus, be reconciled to God. Don't die separated from God. Don't die in your sins. Don't die lost. Oh, please, be reconciled to God. On behalf of Jesus, I'm asking you to be reconciled to God. What's Christmas all about? that we've been reconciled to God.
What's our message as ambassadors? He wants you to be reconciled to God. You know, Christmas really is 365 days a year. It really is. So we just say, well, this is the new day. And God was in Christ reconciling me to himself. And he's committed to me the word of reconciliation. And by the way, Jesus took my sin and I have his righteousness. And you know, he lives in me. And today, Jesus, would you live your life through me? This may sound weird to you, but I think it's scriptural. The Bible says, present your body a living sacrifice. What does it mean for Jesus to live in you and through you? Think about this, and I'm going to pray. Jesus, I give you my mind. Would you think through it? Jesus, I give you my eyes. Would you look through them? Hey, Jesus, I give you my mouth. Will you speak through it? You know, Jesus, I give you my heart. Would you sit on the throne and reign in it? And by the way, Jesus, today I give you my hands and feet. Would you work through them? I want to be a vessel today, a vessel of honor, set apart and ready for the master's use and prepared for every good work.